after that episode, right, I woke up and was in the uh, pediatric ICU, Columbia Medical Center, and uh, it was uh, honestly kind of comforting. I, I To this day, this probably sounds maybe weird, but I sort of like like being in hospitals. Okay. I don't get to do it very often nowadays, um, but I've always like kind of had fond and like almost like nostalgic, you know, uh, feelings towards hospitals and. Well, I mean, it sounds like you spent yeah, a large portion well, of your true. childhood yeah. there, so it doesn't. It, it's hard that's for me point. to imagine, but like it <laughs> yeah. doesn't not make any sense at all. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, and I think a lot, you know. For me personally, I guess, you know, on the luckier side, I ha- it happened to be between the medical professionals that, you know, were helping me along the way and, um, you know, fam- family and everything. It was always, like, a very supportive uh, environment. Yeah. Or, you know, we got to play video games I didn't have at home. Even, and, uh, yeah, children's <laughs> hospitals are very different than grown-up hospitals. That's, that's true. <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> hey there. And welcome to In Sickness and In Health, a podcast about chronic illness, disability, medical traumas, and everyday uncomfortable healthcare experiences. My name is Kara Gale. I'm not a doctor or a medical professional. I'm just a person and a patient who really wants to talk about this stuff more. Nothing said on this show should ever be considered medical advice. If you're experiencing a medical issue, please seek qualified medical help. I know the system sucks, but I wish you a lot of luck. Every person is different, even within disease groups, so none of my guests should ever be regarded as official representatives or spokespersons for their conditions. Please respect their very personal choices, and unless they ask for it, please don't make suggestions about treatments or lifestyle changes. Unsolicited medical advice is never not annoying. In today's episode, Alex talks about his experience with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, having heart surgery at the age of 16, almost dying a couple times, his work in assisted living, and my favorite topic, death in our death-phobic culture. In the bonus episode, he answers my big healthcare question, and we talk all about my arrhythmias and my heart-shaped mystery box. Hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, or HCM, occurs if heart muscle cells enlarge and cause the walls of the ventricles to thicken. The ventricles are those two larger lower chambers of the heart. This thickening can interfere with how the blood pumps out of the heart to the rest of the body, and changes in those muscle cells can lead to arrhythmias that affect heart rhythm. As always, I've included links to learn more about some of the things we talk about in this episode in the show notes. There, you'll find links to Alex's music projects and his email if you have any questions for him. I might be switching to an every other week release schedule. I haven't fully decided yet, but producing weekly episodes is a little bit too much work for my energy levels. But I'm going to keep trying. We'll see how it goes. I'll keep you posted. Find us at insicknesspod.com and on social media at insicknesspod. If you can, take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes, which helps other people find the show. And I hope you enjoy this episode. They noticed I had a little bit of like an an arrhythmia. Mm -hmm. Um, it wasn't a very 
prominent one, and it wasn't really causing me any you know, discomfort or any other issues, but it was definitely noticeable. I had a little bit of a heart murmur, too. And so, you know, they just kind of watched it, and sure enough, as I got older, the, the thickening became, you know, present, and it kept getting larger as I grew, basically. And uh, so when I was 16, I had open-heart surgery to, yeah, to... Uh, did they go through, like, the front of your chest, or did they go through your back? Yes, they went through the, the front. Okay. Yeah. They, so do you have a big zipper scar? I do. It's, it's actually not that bad, though, the scar. Apparently when they stitched me up, they used what was at the time a newer, like, almost... Uh, plastic surgery developed a technique to, you know, stitch mm-hmm. it up. So, well, it, it was just like, you know, a pretty clean. Yeah. So what does that surgery entail? Because when I read your description of it, my brain thought of it like those monsters who scoop out bagels, <laughs> you know? And then oh I, I thought God, a little yeah. bit more about it, True like a little bit more about there. cardiac anatomy. I was like, no, like, that can't be what they did. So what do they do with that surgery? Right. Well, it's, um, so... There's some, honestly, although it's not literally that, there is, there can be, um, there is some similarity to that. They, um, so the first they, they cut open the chest, um, for anyone who's never actually thought about open heart surgery before, if they go in through the front, they literally take a saw and saw through your sternum, um, and then they, you know, pry open your, your rib cage through the, through the hole there, and, uh, that, you know, gives access to the heart, and then... From there, I had what's called a myectomy. So that is actually involves the cutting out of heart muscle. Mm-hmm. So even though it wasn't really scooped, it was more kind of like shaved okay. um, um, out. And then, um, yeah, so th- that's what I had. Uh, there's, there's another uh, procedure for it called an alcohol septal ablation, where they inject straight exactly straight alcohol into into the uh to kind of kill the uh tissue tissue that's really interesting i had a radio frequency catheter ablation where they use like i don't think it's actually a laser but i like to think of it as a laser (laughs) yeah where they like you know uh tried to get rid of an arrhythmia that i had oh wow really yeah it didn't go so well I had it done twice but whoa oh my yeah but this is about you uh so what were those, like, first symptoms that you had? They were some of the textbook HCM symptoms, shortness of breath, um, occasional dizziness, you know, getting kind of, like, tired easily. And um, so those, those were the main things. And those pretty much were the only things that I had. They just kind of, you know, those were the symptoms that I had the whole time, and they did get a little bit worse, I noticed. Um, I was on medication. Like, I've pretty much always been on medication. I don't know that I've ever not been on medicine, at least Is since that, I've like been conscious. Is that a beta blocker? Or yeah, exactly, yeah. yep, yep, a beta blocker. Um, and when I was younger, I think there was another a type 2 that they were giving me along with the beta blocker, but now it's just one beta blocker. Um, th- that helped a lot, right, with th- with my symptoms. But if I, you know, missed a dose or I was late taking a dose, I would feel it pretty quickly. Like within a few, like an hour or two of like not taking it, I would start to feel that shortness of breath. And like as soon as I stood up from doing anything, I'd be like, oh my god, I know I'm all sit about down. that. One. <laughs> yeah, right, okay. Well, yeah. There we go. Yeah. That. So that was that was something. Um, 
But you had some, like, scary episodes. Yeah, that's right. Tell me about those. Okay, so I guess the first one was uh, I actually had a an appointment with my cardiologist uh, this one day. And um, he was in Columbia Medical Center over in New York. So uh, it started out pretty normal. It was like a totally normal day um, going to my appointment. I was in the back seat of my parents' car. And uh, we were like on the bridge or very close to the bridge. And um, suddenly like I remembered like my heart like started racing. Like felt like it was racing. And I got like, you know, it was really hard to breathe. You know, I guess I like said something to my parents, and so whatever. It's, this part of it is a little bit like kind of foggy, but yeah. so basically, I was sort of in and out of consciousness between then and you know waking up a few hours later, which I'll get to. But uh, so yeah, there was uh, you know I heard all like it was yelling, and like my parents were clearly like kind of emotional, and um, I in my memory, I think we were like at one point like pulled over but my dad like yelled to the cop like what was happening and then he ended up giving us like an escort or something like that i remembered yeah like seeing like lights at one point and i mean that was probably after i got to the hospital now i think about it but (laughs) anyway i um we get to the hospital you know and i guess you know they did whatever they had to do and i'm still here uh, and it, was that when you were 16 or was that? No, that was when I was, I think I was about eight oh, at okay. this time. Yeah, so this was uh, earlier. And what had happened was I had an uh, episode of cardiogenic shock. So your wow. body kind of goes into shock as if you were bleeding out, but it's because your heart isn't pumping the way that it's supposed to, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly right. It, and um, that's what happened, and that's why I was kind of like losing consciousness and and all that so um and it's a pretty like serious thing i found out i didn't find out until like a lot later in life like probably 10 years ago when i was i'm 28 now but um yeah apparently most people who enter that don't come out of it yeah so yeah, because you need medical intervention, like, pretty quickly, or else the blood's not getting to your brain, and, like, yeah. all sorts of things can happen. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, so yeah, that was, it's just a, you know, one of those weird fluke things, you know, whatever, that, that we happen to be already heading towards a medical facility, I guess. Yeah, that's pretty wild. Yeah, that was, that was pretty wild. So then I, you know, woke up in, in the ICU, and I think that was my first time in a hospital for myself. Mm-hmm. Um... I did have a sister who was um, in hospitals for back and forth several times, uh, two earlier than that. Um, I mean, okay, so I had a sister who died um, when she was five. I'm sorry. And, well, thank you. But it was, um, I was seven. I was, it was probably like just over a year prior to what I was just, the story I just shared. Wow. So, yeah, yeah. Um, she had um, cancer. Okay. It was uh, rhabdomyosarcoma. So a muscle thing? Yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah, in, in her abdomen, wow. the abdominal wall. And, um, yeah, so I there was a lot of uh, time spent in hospital playrooms for me um, growing up, mostly for that because my family were Hackensack Medical Center specifically a lot. And uh, So you're, I mean... You said your mom's a nurse, yeah. but 
I mean, to lose one child and then, like, a year later have another child with a almost severe, you know, medical emergency, like, wow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's that's for sure. Have Have you talked to your parents much about, like, what that experience was like for them? Well, I have. Um, we haven't honestly gotten very, or haven't dwelled on it a whole lot, to be honest. I feel like that's partially, like, their own, you know, way of, like, dealing with it, kind of. It's just, like, it was such, like, an extremely intense time that... Just pretend like it didn't happen. Almost, yeah, yeah, kind of like that. I mean, yeah. they've, they've been, definitely been, like, totally forthcoming with things whenever I've asked them, but, you know, a lot of it is, frankly, you know, a more, like, surface-level things, like, literally, factually, what happened and... You know, and then, you know, they'll say that it was, you know, hard on them, and it will, you know, usually gets a little bit emotional, mm-hmm. but um, honestly, um, and I've just been thinking about this personally in my own life, the, like, actually exploring the whole, like, emotions that they were feeling, part of it isn't, was never really, hasn't been something that's been, uh, that I've really discussed too deeply with them, at least, but uh, I definitely... Uh, can for sure, well, I probably actually can't really for sure uh, at all imagine what what that time was like for them. Um, yeah. Just that it was probably really, really um, hard. Yeah, I, I can't imagine either. <laughs> wow. But, but yeah, so, you know, I... Uh, after that episode, I woke up and was in the, the pediatric ICU, Columbia Medical Center, and uh, it was uh, honestly kind of comforting. I, I To this day, this probably sounds maybe weird, but I sort of like like being in hospitals. Okay. I don't get to do it very often nowadays, um, but I've always like kind of had fond and like almost like nostalgic, you know, uh, feelings towards hospitals and well, I mean, it sounds like you spent yeah, a large portion well, of your true. childhood yeah. there, so it doesn't. It, it's hard that's for me point. to imagine, but like, it <laughs> yeah. doesn't not make any sense at all. Okay, yeah. yeah, well, yeah, and I think a lot, you know, for me personally, I guess you know, on the luckier side, I have it happened to be between the medical professionals that you know were helping me along the way, and um, you know, fem family and everything, it was always, like, a very supportive uh, environment. Yeah. You know, we got to play video games I didn't have at home. Yeah, children's hospitals (laughs) are very different than grown-up hospitals. That's that's true. (laughs) That's a good point. (laughs) Very good point. But, yeah, so so that was was the first time I I almost died. Um, And then there was a second time, too. I was 16. It was very shortly after my open-heart surgery. And what happened was, so there's a pericardial sac mm-hmm. that surrounds the heart, so um, like a little like membrane a thing. Ba- baggy there you go. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly right. And um, naturally, there is um, uh, like a little bit of fluid around there to you know surrounds the heart, kind of helps protect it, and you know just that, that kind of thing. And it's apparently not a super uncommon side effect of uh, or after thing that can sometimes happen with open heart surgery, but 
when they close it back up, sometimes as the the body, like I guess, starts to re- regenerate or whatever, produce that that fluid um, or whatever, that more fluid keeps being produced and like too much of it. So my body was like there was too much fluid in my heart around my heart, which um, can interfere with how it beats. Ex- exactly right. So this that's exactly what happened. I. I uh, Woke up one morning after coming back home. I had my surgery, by the way, at, at the Mayo Clinic out in Minnesota. There was a cardiac surgeon out there who specifically specialized in um, cardiac myectomies. So we went to him. Something I didn't mention before, but while overwhelmingly it, the obstruction is in the right ventricle, mine, of course, was uh, you know in the in the left side as well. So it was a little bit definitely. Um, less common and you know just added you know. complication yeah exactly yeah. exactly so that's why we uh, went to such a I guess my family went to such an extent to you know go all the way out there and go to this one particular guy who this was like his main thing anyway uh, got home this fluid like built up around my heart and I woke up I felt a little like tired a little unusual so I told my mom and she said okay let's you know, go bring you out to the, the cardiologist to get me checked out. And um, so that's what we did. And as the morning, like, when by morning I mean, like, less than an hour window progressed, I was, like, finding it harder and harder to breathe and, like, felt like my heart was beating faster and faster. And uh, so my mom, like, drove me there. Um, when we first started, it wasn't, like, an emergency situation. It was just, like, kind of unusual you know, I was just feeling not quite right, and since I had just had my heart cut open like a, less, like a, <laughs> Maybe a, we should get a week ago, it. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, Wait, just, so how long were you in the smart. hospital when you were at Mayo? Oh, super fast. They were everyone there was like almost like impressed by the yeah. fact that I was out so quickly. Um, I had the surgery on a Monday, and I was coming back home on Friday. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, exactly. That's what everybody here was pretty much saying. I like the, the surgeon did an amazing job, frankly. Um my heart looked super great. Uh so good the like before and afters of my uh, echocardiogram were like used in a like educational uh, material uh, to show like, you know, perfect execution or whatever of, of this type of thing. They didn't use my name obviously or anything like that, but my my cardiologist uh, informed me of that um, after the fact, like a few years later. Um, but uh, so over the course of the morning, yeah, yeah, I got, got it was getting intense. bad, and even and so even on the the ride over there, it was to the point where I could like barely like you know speak clearly to my mom. So at this point, she's like kind of driving pretty frantically like to there. We're closer to it anyway. So once again, I'm like rushed into the ER, and um, they already had like a stretcher waiting for me. My mom had called like 911 ahead of time or whatever on her cell phone as she was driving there to tell them that we're heading to Hackensack Hospital and uh, whatever. So, you know, they, they took me in right away. They like got me all set up, I guess, while they were still figuring out what exactly was up. You know, I remember, like, I was just so weak, like, I couldn't even move. Like, lifting, literally, like, lifting my, like, wrist, like, mm-hmm. ever so slightly felt like it was, like, putting the same demand on my heart as, like, sprinting, like, yeah. was. Like, really, like, it was almost, like, 
too much to even keep my eyes open. Like, just opening and closing my eyes was, like, that was, like, really, really weird. And, I mean, kind of, I mean, scary, too. But mostly just, like, you know, kind of sort of losing consciousness, too, at, at this point, too. Um, so what had happened was so, so much fluid had built up that it was, you know, surrounding and, like, constricting my heart. Is that what they call a tamponade? I think so, actually. Yeah, I, I'm almost certain. To be I'm quite honest, I forget. I'm not a doctor. I've just watched a lot of Grey's Anatomy. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, perfect. Yeah, I think, I think you're right about that. So, yeah, basically, like, it was very restricted in its pumping ability and was, like, you know, it was just, like, a ton of force on my, my heart. So, uh... I like I passed out at one point, and then um, when I woke up, I was filled in. And what happened? They they took me in for a quick emergency surgery. Um, I was told uh, that it's you know a fairly at least the procedure itself is fairly routine, so it wasn't like a big like that big of a deal. Um, they said that it was like a pretty big amount of fluid, though. I think they said like a liter worth of fluid almost or close to it which is like yeah that's what i said i like had a hard time like (laughs) comprehending how that was like even the case but yeah um that's what they like drained from me or something like that so yeah yeah. uh and then yeah but then then i felt fine Uh, how much pain were you in after having your chest cut open? Oh yeah, interesting point. I, it was uh, it was a pretty painful, honestly. Yeah, my like the for anyone who hasn't had open heart surgery, it puts a lot of strain on your ribs mm-hmm. and back, having them pried open in such an unnatural way, and so yeah, that was a. Not to mention, like they sawed through. Yeah, well, the bone there. <laughs> that's true too. Yeah, good point. Yeah, they uh, they did did kind of yeah cut through the sternum there, um, which by the way I still have the metal. They're not actual metal, but some kind of alloy wires holding my my sternum. Oh wow! You know, it's presumably grown back together by now, but they're still still wrapped around me inside, which is what they use instead of a, a cast off. But yeah, the pain was pretty bad. Luckily, I I mean, you know, I was on pretty heavy pain medicine while in the hospital. And by the end of the week, honestly, like, the pain wasn't that bad. Like, I was sore, but it wasn't, like, excruciating, yeah. like, anymore by that point after That's I got so home, I think. Yeah. I have uh, a, a condition called costochondritis, which is just inflammation of that cartilage that holds your ribs to your sternum. Oh, whoa. Which can get really, really painful. Yikes, so, yeah. And I also, my dad had open heart surgery uh, after his first heart attack. And so I remember Mm -hmm. seeing how much pain he was in. And then just like thinking, like whenever my costochondritis flares up, I'm like, Mm -hmm. oh my God, I can't, I cannot imagine how painful having your chest cut open must be. (laughs) Because like that's painful enough as it is. Yeah. Oh my God. That sounds pretty, pretty horrible. It's, it's, it's one of many problems. (laughs) So it's kind of like, eh. You know, just this other thing that's, you know, a problem. <laughs> oh, gee. Oh, yeah. My body is, is interesting. As well, sounds like it. Yeah. I mean, I mean that, I don't know, and not in a mean way. I don't know what, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. Awkward. okay. It's okay. No, my, my body is very weird. It has a lot of stuff wrong with it. Yeah, uh, okay. So you're still, you still take a beta <laughs> blocker. You still... Have to do yeah. a halter monitor, I guess, mm-hmm. every few years. How many? Yeah, um, my cardiologist would like it yearly. Sometimes it's mm-hmm. a little 
less regular than that, but, you know, I still get the twice-a-year echocardiograms mm -hmm. and, um, yeah, about annual halter and, uh, right, the, 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 yeah, the beta blocker. Um, and that's, that's pretty much all that I, I'm getting uh, as far as, you know, monitoring goes at, at the moment. Um, a stress echo occasionally, mm -hmm. too, about one of those echoes per year is try to make it a stress echo, which is so much fun. Yeah, but I don't like those. Yeah, I know. Neither do I. Not one bit. Um, so, I mean, how much space does this take up in your life? How much, like, how much do you spend, how much time do you spend thinking about it? How much, like, do, does it interfere with your life, if, if at all? Mm -hmm. Um, well, I gotta say, since the surgery, it's, uh, like, dramatically less than prior to the surgery. Um, I do still, uh, you know, think about it somewhat regularly, just uh, in, in kind of general, like, terms, the fact that you know, I have this condition, what it means for, you know, my future, or what, like, you know, whatever. I Definitely something that I think... It's it's affected. It's very definitely affected. I think the person that I am today, in a lot of ways. So. Uh, what are some of those ways? So I think. Well, as a child, uh, because of a few reasons, all medical related or physic physiologically related, at least, uh, I felt like um, you know I was always like a little bit. Like an, an outsider, sort of. Um, not only was I the only one that, like, had a heart condition in elementary school, um, like, I was and the only person who was walked in gym class, like, all the time, not because of, like, a broken foot or something. Mm -hmm. um, and, and on top of that, like, the whole, like, death kid label basically yeah. after that happened because I was in third grade when, when that happened wow. um, when my sister died and uh, so like I kind of feel like I was always like a little like on the shyer side and kind of kept to myself a lot and uh, in addition to all that I uh, and with my sister's passing too I think you know in, in very surface level ways to start got me thinking about like death and like my own mortality, I yeah, became aware of it. Like, topic. I know, right? yeah, <laughs> I, it's, it is to me, honestly. But it, that was like something I, you know, I guess, um, you know, became aware of pretty early on. Like, like just exactly, you know, what that meant exactly. Mm -hmm. Like death. Like I got a pretty definite picture um, when my when my sister died, and then. Um, I don't remember if was it right after. Wow, I actually mix up the timeline a little because it was crazy enough a year as it was. But within the same year that my sister died, my my grandfather died also. My mom's dad um, died like within that same kind of span of time too. So, Yikes. so yeah, yeah. Like I, <laughs> so there's like a lot of uh, death things happening, you know, almost deaths and actual deaths, and um, so and so I, I very much. Have dwelled a lot on that um, in my life, and uh, I still do. I have a pretty, I guess, what seems to be like fairly positive-ish outlook on it. Not, 
um, not in like a uh, for any like real reason, like not for any, like a, a religious reason or like anything like that. Like uh, mostly that I've just kind of come to terms with the fact that a hundred percent of us are gonna die. Yeah, yeah, exactly. A hundred percent of us are gonna die, and um, never gonna know if anything happens when you die. I personally a little more of the belief that nothing too uh, dramatic, really. And I don't know whether something is, you know, whatever uh, else. Like, maybe in, like, in my more, uh, you know, spiritual moments, I like to the idea of uh, just the natural energy that is, like, present within, like, the electro-whatever energy that's running through the human body at any time when when you die, that energy just kind of, you know, goes into something else or out into the universe or wherever mm -hmm. and um i don't know that that's that was like a pretty comforting thing honestly to me when i first thought about that as maybe being something that happened um but nowadays i'm just like you know it's gonna happen and there's no sense really uh worrying about it uh you know what death really means um I'm not personally, I wouldn't consider myself afraid of dying. Um, I don't want to die, but I don't really, to me personally, I wouldn't care if I died. Let me, I don't want to get like too like, and let me explain, go a little further too. No, I, you, it's fine. <laughs> okay. I, I am an extremely morbid person. All right. It really freaks a lot of people out. I went to a death conference last year. So wow. Oh, like, right on. Okay. I am, I'm in my element talking about death. You don't have cool. to apologize to oh, me. Oh, well, sweet. All right. Sounds good. Um, well, yeah, like I, uh, I just am very like okay with whatever, with it, with it in general. I will say, um, if anything, I would feel, if there's any reason I would choose, if, I, if you gave me the choice right now between, okay, you could live, or okay, you could die, like just right now. Um, the only reason, no, I shouldn't say it. The overwhelming reason why I would uh, say live, it's frankly um, for like my family's mm -hmm. sake, not my own. Um, like I just... Uh, feel like that would be like they've done like so much, been through so much mm -hmm. to basically well keep me alive, and so much has happened while I've been alive, and uh, yeah, that I would feel a little bad. I'd feel really sad for yeah. <laughs> them, frankly, because you know whether or not I care about myself, they definitely yeah. seem to at least. So. Yeah, well, I mean, death is is always so much more about the people who are still alive than it is really about the person who died. Mm -hmm. Or at least, like, we make it we make it so much about us yeah, and not yeah. so much about that person. Yeah, um, very true. Because the people who are still alive have to deal with that loss, whereas the person who's dead is Don't dead. 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 Yeah. 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 Right. So I always find that really interesting. Um mm -hmm. And the fact that, like, we just completely ignore the fact that 100% of us are going to die <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really, is really right? weird to me. Yeah. Like, it's really bizarre. Mm -hmm. And that we're all just wandering around pretending it's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. And people don't want to talk about it either. Because they think it's, like, 
kind of bring it on or 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 it's contagious or something like that which is so So odd Mm -hmm. but because we don't talk about it and because we pretend it's not going to happen we wind up in these situations where we what where either you know when a person dies or we lose someone it doesn't quite go very well, you know, like we mm-hmm. wind up having all of these medical interventions that are maybe not totally necessary or a good idea and uh-huh. just kind of like prolong a lot of really horrible, horrible suffering mm-hmm. because we don't make it clear to our loved ones that like maybe that's not something that we want. Um, yeah. And the same goes for, you know, death care. Like I do not want to be involved. Don't. Don't do no, it. Yeah, right. Don't put me on display. I don't need to be on display. Like, no, just, just, because yeah. there's, there's actually no reason to do it mm-hmm. except to put people on display, which is just really creepy and weird. Yeah, yeah. Like, how is that not creepy? Well, and I weird? know, right? I personally <laughs> think so. <laughs> I uh, yeah. when my dad died, I walked into the room and it was like an open casket wake, mm-hmm. and I just started laughing and like kind of also like crying at the same time hysterically because he looked like he was just playing a practical joke on us. Mm-hmm. Like he looked like he was just like pretending to be asleep in the mm-hmm. coffin, which I found extremely extremely disturbing and hilarious oh. and weird um and like wasn't oh, i i don't know i some people find it comforting to like be able to see the person and say goodbye mm-hmm. i didn't feel that way at all uh, <laughs> i was yeah. just like why why is his body here this is really weird yeah right right yeah. oh my god they oh. also um and i don't want this to discourage anyone from uh, making organ donations or tissue donations because it is very important. But he was mm-hmm. an organ donor, and they kind of messed up a little bit, and uh, they thought that he was making a full body donation, and they like kind of lost his body for a couple hours. What the f- <laughs> so what? Uh, my parents were living in Pennsylvania, and um, the the hospital fucked up and. The, the organ donation people had, like, taken his body and were, like, halfway to Philadelphia before, I guess, the funeral home called and was like, oh, where's the body? <laughs> oh, my God. What? <laughs> and, um, I mean, the, I, again, this is where my, like, extremely morbid and dark and fucked up sense of humor comes in because, <laughs> like, my family was freak. I thought my brother was going to murder somebody. And I was just like, but you guys, this is so funny. <laughs> Trust me, this is going to be so funny in a couple years. Right, right. Um, (laughs) And then they had to like turn around and like we got it back. It wasn't. It wasn't a big deal. Yeah, right. Like whatever. Uh, (laughs) It was was just a really odd experience, though. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, and it turns out that funeral traditions are extremely regional, which I did not realize. So, like. We always lived in New Jersey, and then my parents yeah. moved to Pennsylvania. And so, like, tr- wake traditions, and, like, here in New Jersey, they're usually, like, in the evening, I think. Mm-hmm. I, I yeah, yeah, remember. for the wakes, yeah, definitely. Yeah, was... um, on, like, certain days, and, and there were, like, all of these things that we kind of kept, like, running up against with the funeral director, who was just like, well, that's not how we do things here. We were just like, really? oh, okay, that's weird. <laughs> you know, because really? it, it's just the next state over, we didn't expect... Uh, wow. like traditions and policies to be all that different, but they they were, which was really weird. Was there like any 
one thing in particular that that you remember or specific? Or was it just like the timing thing? I guess. Yeah. Like, was it during I mean, the day or? Yeah. Oh, that is weird. Yeah. I, and I think it was only on one day because, oh, like, in New Jersey, there's usually like two or three days. Yeah. Right. And there, they were like, "No, we do one during the day and then during the evening on one day." Oh, weird. Like, yeah, it was weird. That's the hmm. thing that stands out in my mind. Um, right. Right. Okay. But I do remember hearing that phrase, like, "Well, that's just not how we do things." It pe- here right. or like huh. like repeatedly like there were several instances where that wow. came up which was strange wow yeah yeah that is yeah yeah <laughs> so uh yeah but you work you in too. assisted living so you're kind of yeah. up against mortality every day that's right yes yes it's true and uh I think that's definitely uh, one of the the challenges of uh, working there, but uh, I, you know, I, I really kind of enjoy too, frankly, trying to make everyone's you know day to day life like as enjoyable as, as possible. Frankly, like I like I get to interact directly with the residents there, and um, you know, it's great. They like come to me for like any old like reason. They, you know, don't something happened to their phone or, you know, they don't know uh, why the, uh, what, what was it? I just had a, there was just a, a funny thing that happened. Actually, it was a little while ago. That's why it's foggy. But, like, this is resonant. She was, you know, using the internet, one of the one of the technologically savvy ones that we, we have. So and, they're, um, they're you're, where you work, it's all seniors. Yes, yeah, exactly right. Everyone, uh, at the moment, is over. At, the youngest resident is in the, their late sixties, um, and then our oldest is uh, one hundred and one. Wow. At the moment, yeah. I don't want to live that long. I know, right? <laughs> I don't. I'm pretty sure I don't either. Yeah. That really freaks me out. I, I'm already hitting that stage of adulthood where I'm like, technology is confusing, <laughs> and right? I used to work in technology. How is this possible? Yeah, like really. already, I can't use Snapchat. Oh my god, uh, mm-hmm. I know so, what you mean. Yeah, but uh, yeah, so yeah, there's just been like you know funny like things involving that, like an email like regarding like related issue. She uh, didn't know. I'm not even going to bother going to the store right now because I'm going to mess it up. It's not fresh in my head, but, but uh, yeah, just like you know, funny little things, um, thing. And it's also kind of fun for me because it's always something like really simple, and I'm like, oh, I can do that. I can, and just like make their day like so happy because of one like simple little thing, like, oh, your router isn't turned on, or that's mm-hmm. literally press a button and like magic. You're a superhero. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, another thing I've started doing in the last... I've worked at this same assisted living um, since I was a senior in high school. Oh, wow. Actually. So, yeah, February last month was my 11th year anniversary. Holy shit. Weirdly enough, yeah. Uh, so I started in the dining room, though. I'm not always at the position that I am at. Uh, but as a server in the dining room and... Really liked that. Was really into the whole food business earlier in life. Um, then I moved into the kitchen, trained underneath our executive chef, who's actually like pretty, pretty uh, well trained himself. He's a graduate of the Culinary Institute of America. 
um, worked at, he was the head chef of Country Club for, for a few years, and um, anyway, so I got a, a good education under him. I'd always loved cooking as a hobby myself uh, growing up, and uh, so it was cool, like, learning to cook. It's a mu so much different, and this is a big tangent we're going on now, but cooking for, like, 80 people versus, mm -hmm. you know, cooking for yourself, for or, yourself or, like, yeah, yeah, a handful. So, like, yeah, I learned a lot that way. One of the th main important things I learned is that I don't want to be in the culinary uh, industry. <laughs> important lesson to yeah, learn before yeah. you spend all that money on culinary school. Exactly, exactly. So, um, but it was great. I loved it. Like, I loved um, the people that were working there. Some of them are still there. The executive chef is still there. Um, many of the other servers are still there, and a lot of them are cooks too, dishwashers too. Um, but I like uh, working. Oh, the assisted living, right? So in my current position, um, my title is community coordinator, and part of that is like on the marketing side, and some of that like doing networking meetings and more business-sounding things. I, you know, I do give tours of the residents and. I'm often the first person that people speak to when they're calling looking for information. Um, so I help them, the families decide if you know, this the, sounds like the right option for them or if they need maybe something a little more or less or you know things along those lines. And then, um, so I, I am in, in some degree like responsible for you know getting people to move in, frankly. But um, luckily, I think. Uh, we are on the smaller side and independently owned, and I get to I have a lot of other freedom to do other things. My favorite project, and also something that's become like very time consuming, uh, oftentimes stressful but very rewarding, is uh, making a month the monthly newsletter for the community for all the residents and the family members and and the, and the employees too. It goes out to everybody, and uh, one of the like sections I started doing about two years ago, maybe two and a half even at this point, is uh, interviewing a resident. Oh, cool. uh, yeah, yeah, and just kind of you know finding out a little bit about their life, what they where they grew up, what they did, their family was like, you know, the basic things like that, and that's been like, really really fun. What uh, is there anything that you've like? gleaned from those interviews or that you've learned that kind of like sticks out to you? Um, definitely seems that uh, the people who have, are, have lived the longest, frankly, it sounds, kind of sounds like maybe a little funny, but like definitely seem to have been the ones that like really did like did the most thing or like tried like the most things. Obviously not everybody has that, you know, ability to, mm -hmm. you know, whatever, but they certainly, um, you know, they they enjoyed what they did, or they tried out like a bunch of different things, and um, maybe were able to travel, or they, you know, or for some other reason they, you know, just more directly had a really fulfilling like family life or something like that, or um, really good friends, or or um, so like staying stimulated. Yeah, basically staying stimulated, and um, yeah, even if it's not the most. Uh, like, it doesn't have to be super, like, excited, um, happy, like, fun things all the time. But, like, challenges, I think, you know, mm -hmm. show maybe have something to do with that, too. And 
but yeah, like I just as, as you, you said it much more concisely, just basically staying stimulated, and I think it helps a, a more positive outlook, which in turn I think keeps people more active, which could you know maybe if you're trying to live longer, that you know that is, uh, but might not be for everybody, but uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, what what's like the range of ability of your residents? It's pretty pretty big, actually. We have a few who are mostly independent, and you know maybe they're just benefiting from the fact that we're doing all the cooking for them, all the meals, and then like uh, the basic housework is all taken care of, maintenance of the apartment, and bed-making, garbage collection, that whole thing. Oh, that sounds nice. So, yeah, right? I wouldn't mind uh, that. Honestly, I, I, I'm not... I truly, truly, if I'm lucky enough to be able to, you know, afford it and everything, like some, something dire doesn't happen and I suddenly have, like, no money at the end of my life, uh, I, uh, and I make it that long, I, I totally could see myself moving into an assisted living. I think they're only going to be, like, you know, more fun as... Our generation gets to that age too, you know. Yeah. So, but you know, whatever. I, I it, they really feel like not, I've visited a lot, a lot of them in my my time, and I really think uh, it's honestly like a pretty like cool idea, and a lot of people really benefit from it. And like, there's like social hours every day, and like people are actually like really having fun with like make friends and, um, yeah, like fun stuff like mm-hmm. still ends up happening for them like on this what may more stereotypically sound like a time that like nothing really goes on in, like one person's lifetime it's but um there's actually like all these you know new opportunities for new new things i yeah. guess that's cool and, like, yeah. um do you have any old people like fucking oh man well <laughs> we so we I don't know for sure. I can't. I can neither <laughs> confirm nor deny the fact if if that's uh, currently happening. Um, it this does bring to mind though one a specific story from a few years back. So there was a residence, uh, so a female residence, and she had a, a partner. She was she had dementia, so uh, you know some about you know about moderate dementia, so kind of like in the middle, mild, moderate, severe. Um, and just having that doesn't mean, you know, we can't be in assisted living. We do have, like, most assisted living do have a memory care area of the building where, you know, it's the same idea, same rooms and food and all that stuff, just a little more secure so they can, you know, kind of move around on their own without have, worrying about leaving the property or things like that. But um, as long as you can get around with, you know, guidance and you're not in danger of harming yourself or others, a lot of residents with dementia can stay in the regular open assisted living area. So this woman was uh, like that, and uh, she had had, prior to moving in, a a male friend and... uh, so that you know, they'd go out sometimes, and then they'd come back, and you know, he would st- stay the night sometimes, and um, 
you know, I don't know necessarily what happened during the night, but, you know, it's certainly possible, uh, you know, some things were going on. But anyway, sometime into her time with us, as I mentioned, she had dementia, uh, she started hanging out while this guy, when the guy wouldn't come by, he'd maybe come by like a few times a week or something. So she became friendly with this other resident of ours, a male resident of ours. And, um, and so long story short, she would sometimes forget like that, that she was dating or you know, seeing or whatever we wanted to, whatever they considered it, uh, you know, this outside guy. And like, he would come in and like, see them like flirting together or like talking together at the table or with, with like, like one guy's arm around her or whatever. And so, uh, this actually escalated one time. Um, I think it was exactly that, like when he actually saw like, like his, this guy's arm around him. And, uh, and there were some punches thrown. Oh, wow. Actually, blood was shed. Wow. It happened uh, in the evening. I think it was it was after dinner. I was in the building at the time, although it happened upstairs. I was still downstairs. Our kitchen is downstairs where we are. And um, so, yeah, I, I heard it all uh, after the fact, but it was uh, well documented, as everything has to be uh, in <laughs> the imagine. industry. So lots of incident reports. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. So, um, so yeah, that was a, a little uh, funny thing there. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, everybody ended up being okay, you know, that's why. <laughs> it's, you can say funny, I think. Yeah. But. Yeah, because our, our culture just kind of, like, discards old people. And, like, once you pass a certain age, even though we're trying to cure death, like, right? you know, once you pass a certain age, like... The assumption is just that, like, you're not a person with a life yeah, anymore. like you've passed a certain worth, too, yeah. I think. Yeah, like, oh, which is like really almost. sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. You know, I I know every family is different, and whatever, for whatever, different dynamics and different other things, but, like, I am, um, you know, one of the things I think is, is kind of sad, like, I there's, there's been people I've heard of, not just in, you know, maybe in ours, but in other places too, that, you know, the resident or two that have family, but nobody, like, comes to visit, and it's not like these people, that their families don't have the means to either, frankly, like, I think, um, like, they could, but for whatever reason, and I'm not judging, I'm just saying it, it's, like, something I, I have seen happen, and, um, you know, it, I don't know, it, it could, can sometimes feel a little sad to me, but I, uh, you know, those are just residents I, I tend to, like, kind of, like, getting to know all the more, honestly, mm-hmm. and, or, like, at least trying to, to interact with so right. many times they might not want, sometimes they might not want sometimes to. Sometimes they're just assholes. Yeah, that's and that's it. Well, there you go. So, so, yeah, yeah. But, Interesting. Mm-hmm. Has your attitude about death changed or shifted at all in the time since you've been there? Um, or, de- like, death, disability... Mm. Illness, oh. mortality, yeah. you know, any of those things. I think, uh, you know, I guess if it has, it's that it's, uh, I think it has. And I think it's it's softened mm-hmm. my feelings on it. Um, I used to definitely, I, I would say absolutely definitely um, not 
we want to like think about the idea of like growing that old and like just assumed frankly that like if I did, even if like why would anybody want to be like that old frankly like what like they you know people are just at that age are so like maybe you know restricted in like a number of things like diet or mobility or just like cognitive like function and and you know all those things but um I've definitely and since I've I've been here uh, realized that uh well a the stereotypes I think of a uh, you know, the elderly, specifically, and, um, you know, aren't always true, Don't definitely not true, they are stereotypes, and there's so many people who go on and still are, you know, active at, in their 90s, going out, like, for lunch to meet up with friends, and, like, you know, maybe they use a walker or something like that, but, like, otherwise, they're fine, and um, there are others who, you know, maybe don't remember what they did just a little while ago, but you never see them without, like, a huge smile on their face. Like, they're clearly, like, enjoying themselves and get, like, the biggest pleasure out of the smallest little things. Um, you know, I, I think I, I'm more okay with with the fact... I can I can see myself now older, as an older person, and I never used to be able to, to do that. And, you know, I definitely don't know if I'll make it that long. And I don't, as I said earlier, I don't really care, frankly, whether I do or not. But if I did, I'd be okay with it, I think. Yeah. Yeah, because I know it's not the end and doesn't necessarily mean one thing or the other. Mm -hmm. It's, um, yeah. I'm interested in, like, the cognitive stuffed cognitive decline because mm-hmm. um, I struggle enough with my brain as it is now mm-hmm. and it really freaks me out to think that like <laughs> it could get a lot worse as I age uh-huh. yeah I, I I feel yeah I I tend to I mean I definitely do too uh, to be honest like I feel like my memory is well different some days it's better than others <laughs> let's put it that way but uh and just very distracted and, um, you know, well, whatever. Uh, the point is, um, like, right now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, I, uh, I constantly forget what I'm talking about as I'm go. saying it. And I'm like, I get, like, halfway through a sentence and I'm like, I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> yeah, no, right. I don't know. I don't, I don't even know, know what I was talking about. I don't know what I was going to say. Uh-huh. Yeah. It just disappears. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, um, yeah, you know, well, here's here's something I think uh, that I've, like, thought about and kind of feel, if, if this makes any sense now, kind of like what you were saying about death, how... Um, you know, the death, it really affects, like, the other members of the family and everything, and obviously it's, like, the individual is, is dead. Um, to me, I've kind of, like, made the connection or analogy that the, and, uh, well, again, it's not black or white, but um, a lot of the time, a lot of the residents that I've personally witnessed um, 
when they, you know, are experiencing a decline in cognitive function, um, it's like, it can be a little frustrating, like, at times to them, but, uh, but otherwise, you know, they're still just as able to enjoy things and, you know, all that, when things are happening that are fun, they're still, you know, having fun and, and that, and that, um, as for the one, when it becomes more progressed, if the ones who don't even recognize, like, their own family members, to them, it's not like they're having a bad time, you know, frankly. Yeah, it's harder on the family members. Yeah, that's, really, I guess, my point, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, um, so for my own, my own personal, like, thing like that, by the time I'm that age, presumably, my parents won't be around anymore, and they're the main ones that I, uh, you know, would, uh, would worry about having to experience something like that. I don't have any siblings, so, you know, they wouldn't experience that. Um, you know, whether or not I have a spouse or uh, children, I guess, you know, that that's something that, you know, I don't know for sure. But I, uh, I you know, that would be, I guess, something I would figure out. But, but... The point is, I like uh, that, that, that. Well, that's my point. <laughs> <laughs> well, that seems like a good place to end. Thanks for listening to In Sickness and In Health. Find resources and more from us at insicknesspod.com and on social media at insicknesspod. Check out today's bonus episode where Alex answers my big healthcare question and we talk all about my arrhythmias and my heart shaped mystery box. And don't forget to be excellent to yourselves and each other. Mm-hmm.